the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hi everybody, welcome. Welcome back to End Time Insights. I'm Ron Geyer. We've got a great show. I'm excited about it today. But first, I need to make an announcement. We've got the official date on the start of our Patriots for Christ class at West Houston Christian Center. Pastor Jack and Michelle Pigeon, kind enough to let us do it again. It's going to start January 19th. That's a Sunday night. We go from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock, which is perfect. That means as soon as the class ends, you can listen to me on the radio at 8 (laughs) o'clock. Anyway, you're more than welcome. We'd like to have you register. I didn't bring the email address, but uh, you can email me at gospelguy at comcast.net, and I'll go ahead and pass that along and get you signed up. The class is free. We're going to talk about America. We're going to talk about the church. We're going to talk about the impeachment. We're going to talk about what's happening and the role of the church in supporting righteousness and restoring righteousness in our nation today. So make sure you get there. It's a great class. We go once a month for 12 months. It's an election year coming up at the end of the year in November. Very important. We'll help you in your voting decisions. We'll let you know what's going on nationally and locally as far as the elections, which candidates we think you might find more appealing that would conform to the Word of God. So let me get started today. We want to talk about sin and repentance And these are closely aligned. I did not want to leave off about this. I don't know how much on the repentance aspect I'm going to get to. A friend of mine on Facebook, he was going through some stuff, and he came up with this about the evangelist, the New Age, New Day evangelist that's really a little bit off, and their attitude concerning talking about sin. And this is common. Now, this may seem it's extreme, but this is representative of the attitude that many in our church leadership are presenting about sin. I know one of my favorite preachers just plainly tells you he's not going to talk about sin in church. Okay, let me read this quote. Speaking about sin is pointless because no one can ever stop sinning and everyone lives by God's grace alone. All we need to do is to stay encouraged and keep trusting God and don't look at sin as if it had any value. No one can ever be free from sin, so why even discuss sin? Instead, focus on God's goodness. Why repent when you're going to sin again tomorrow? Winning souls is so much more important than keeping congregations from sinning or asking them to follow Apostle Paul's teachings. We just need to feel good and trust God. He will work everything out for his good. Now, yeah, I know that's extreme, but I think you get the point. There's all sorts of this kinds of attitudes in our church regarding sin. We don't want to offend anybody. Political correctness does not let us talk about sin and pointing out people's sins. Within the church, we say that that's judgment. We don't understand judgment. We're supposed to be judging for correction, not judging for condemnation. But let's take a look at the Bible. Love the Bible. Let's look at the Bible and see what Jesus and Paul how they handled the question about sin versus grace and check to see if there is a need for repentance within the body as well. Matthew one twenty one, 
And she, talking about Mary, she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save people from their sin. So important. Many of us, we fear hell. We think we're going to hell if we don't do right, and that's a misnomer. Jesus doesn't save you from hell. He saves you from your sins. Let me read it again. For he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus did not come to save us from hell. He came to save us from our sin. John one twenty nine, great scripture. I love it. It's when John was baptizing people and then Jesus showed up and John said, the next day, John saw Jesus coming unto him and he said, behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We see right there that John not only knew who Jesus was, but he knew why Jesus came. Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. That's everybody. That's cosmos. That's everybody that's ever been born, everybody that ever will be born. Jesus came to take away the sins of everybody. That is the purpose. For this reason, the Son of Man was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Sin. Sin in mankind has kept us from having the relationship with God that we're supposed to have. Matthew four seventeen. from that time, Jesus began to preach and he would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, why would Jesus tell us to repent? He told us to repent because we are all sinners. We have left off that part of the gospel. For some reason, we think we can preach the gospel without talking about sin. We can't pick and choose the spots. America is in huge trouble because the moral compass, the moral voice, the voice of righteousness, the voice of holiness has decided we don't want to get involved. We don't want to say anything. We don't want to defend the people. You know, this is our calling. John Adams, second president of the United States, he made this comment. Our Constitution was made for a moral and righteous religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the governance of any other. They knew it when they put that Constitution together. They knew that it was only going to work when you had a moral society. And I wrote this, once we introduced the godless into positions of power in America, the principles of which our freedoms were founded on, they will be both compromised and they will be abused. We see that today. Will be both compromised and abused, resulting in the removal of those freedoms and the demise of national morality. That's happened. I mean, there's no moral compass in America. The church isn't shouting from the mountaintop about sin. We're not challenging the world. We're not letting them know not to judge them, but to let them know that we love them and we want to correct them. And the demise of national morality, which will result in a culture no longer willing nor able to sustain individual liberty. And every time you look, there's another law being passed that takes either your money or your freedoms. And we have got to stand up. I don't know how it all comes out at the end. I know that the church is going to be a glorious church. I believe in the true church, the true people of God that really read their Bibles, that are born again, that obey God, that are walking in truth and holiness. We're not voting Democrat. We're not voting for abortion. We're not voting to support lawlessness in our nation. We are voting and we are speaking the truth in love, rescuing those even ready to fast track to hell because of whatever sin they're committing. It's a divine appointment that we have with our nation. We have got to stand up. We have got to rise up. We can no longer be timid behind the political correctness mantra, behind the fear of men. We must stand up for righteousness. That's why John says Jesus the Lamb, because he knew that when Jesus came, he would save us from our sin. It's pretty obvious, pretty fairly simple to see Jesus came to deal with the question of sin. 
It's sin that keeps us from having the relationship with God, with Father God, that we're supposed to have. We're all children of God by creation. I think you know that. God made us. Nobody else made us. The devil didn't make us. We didn't create ourselves. God created man. And he wants more than that, though. Sure, we're all children of God by creation, but he wants us to become sons of God. He wants us to become children of God. He wants us to be part of his family through the new birth. Sin keeps us from that relationship. That's why John says, Jesus, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus' work is done. He did everything he's going to do. He died on the cross. That was enough. He paid for our penalty. He went to hell for us. He rose again. Sin has been defeated in Christ. Romans six fourteen. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. I say this all the time. I've been made free from sin. Sin shall not have dominion over me. That's scriptural. Paul writes this statement to the church in the book of Romans because being under grace doesn't do anything for us automatically. There's this false teaching that grace, they've given grace abilities and powers that it doesn't really have. Grace is the current environment into which we are born. It is the environment in which we all live today. God's grace was ushered in by Jesus, and it gives us the opportunity to restore on a personal level the relationship mankind represented by Adam and Eve. It gives us that opportunity to restore that mankind, that relationship that mankind had with God, the creator. Step one, this is important. Step one in the restoration process is to acknowledge that we have sinned. Now, they've got the church back into a corner. We dare not say somebody's sinning. We dare not say that is sin. We cannot challenge sin. We cannot say homosexuality is sin. We cannot say divorce, pornography. We cannot say abortion is sin because society has accepted it. Our culture has fallen so far. We have acknowledged that these are just natural occurrences in the life of today's American. That is so wrong. Step number one, we must acknowledge that we are sinners. John sixteen eight. When the Holy Spirit, Jesus is about to leave, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Another word for reprove is to convince or to convict the world of sin. It is one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit to let people know that they're sinning. The job of the Holy Spirit in the world is to convict the sinner of sin. How can he do this if the church never talks about sin? If we never tell them that those sins I mentioned, abortion, adultery, homosexuality, drug use, pornography, if we never tell them that that's wrong, that that is sin, and you are a sinner because you commit those sins, if we never point out that they are living their lives apart from God because of sin, which is why they're doing those things, then the Holy Spirit doesn't have anything to convict them of. If he's to convict them of their sin and we let them get away with saying that none of this stuff is sin, then he has no work to do. I can understand the world talking like that. I can understand that. But the church needs to fight back on those points. We need to let them know, hey, you're a sinner. Don't worry. We all were. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is not an individual judgment for condemnation that we're making when we tell them that. That is a compassionate plea for them to understand that they need to have a restored relationship with God through what Christ Jesus has done. Look at what Jesus said about preaching on sin. John fifteen twenty two. If I had not come and spoken unto them... They would not have sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. Basically, Jesus said, because I told them the truth, because I said that they're of the father of the devil, because I told them that sin has separated them from a relationship with God the Father, because I've told them that truth, I have removed the cloak for their sin. I have countered the deception that they're living under. Jesus told them the truth about everything. 
but of greatest importance was when he told them the truth about them being sinners out of relationship with God. The truth he told them about their separations from the Father actually did something. It removed the cloak for their sin. This is important. Romans 7, 7. I love this scripture. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, says Paul. No, I had not known sin except the law. For I had not known lust except the law said, thou shalt not covet. So here we see Paul talking about sin in the fact that outside of the law, before the law came, sin wasn't sin. The strength of the law is sin. Sin fleshes out the law. It lets you know that, hey, this is wrong and this is right. And so when Paul writes that, if I had not known the law, I wouldn't have known that I was wrong. Well, understand, we spoke last week about lawlessness, right? Didn't we? Less law. Well, when you remove the law, when you take away thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt, when you remove that man's left to his own devices, by avoiding the law, we are rejecting the cloak, we are keeping that cloak that hides our sin. Moral equivalency was big back in the 80s and the 90s, and it went ahead and it gave us values clarification whereby we could, in our own man's thinking, we could justify, well, that doesn't apply to me. Well, who are you to tell me that this is wrong? You have no basis for convicting me, for telling me that. And so the church said, okay, no problem. We went in the corner and we sat in our chair. But at the end of the day, lawlessness is on the increase, less law. And when there's less law, the law is the revealer of sin. If there's no law, we don't know that we're sinning, but there is law. Why do you think there's such a huge push by the grace people to do away with the Ten Commandments? Because with them overstating grace, they think that, well, we don't have to be accountable for what we're doing wrong because grace covers the sin. Grace does not have that ability. The blood covers your sin. I have people telling me all day long, well, you know, I live my life by grace. No, you do not live your life by grace. You live your life in the environment of grace, but you live the just shall live by faith. And we've gotten all these strange doctrines that came into the church to satisfy man's willingness to sin without accountability. Now, know this. It's spiritual truth. Everything is connected. In God's kingdom, nothing stands alone. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you the truth. And what's the result? Your cloak has been removed for sin. What about that? A spare the rod and spoil the child. If you spare the rod, if you do not discipline your children, then the result of that is your children are going to be reckless. They're going to be wayward. They're going to be anarchy in their behavior. And we see that all the time. Paul wrote, God gave Moses the result of the sin was that when he gave the Jews the law, their sin was revealed. And then he gave them a way back to relationship through the high priest, the atonement once a year. And we have that today, but we are trying to do away with sin. The Bible talks about lawlessness. When lawlessness abounds or because lawlessness is abounding, what's the result of that? Everything has a repercussion. Everything is connected in the kingdom of God because lawlessness is abounding the love of many is going to grow cold. Do you see that? When we do not honor the law, when we do not create laws that honor God, when we allow the law to be broken, when we write laws that violate the word of God, there's a result. What's the result? The result is men's hearts will grow cold. The love of God will grow cold. We're going to lose people out of the body of Christ because of this lawless attitude. 
let's go back to salvation. Okay, today's church is worried about offending their members. We're worried about political correctness. We're worried about the fear of man. There's an ongoing worldwide satanic effort to remove any mention of sin in our society. Why do you think that is? The answer is very simple. The very first step towards salvation is what? For those of you who are saved, the very first step towards salvation is the acknowledgement of sin. I am a sinner. I am apart from God. Where did we get that? I got it from Kenneth Copeland when I got born again. He told me I was required to have a relationship with God today. I got so excited. I was raised Catholic. I says, man, I can talk to God today. They said, yes, you can. But you can't do it as you are. You are a sinner. You are separated from God right now. You must be born again. So they told me I was a sinner, and then I had to repent. That was fine. I could do that. I said, I don't know if I have time, Lord, to get through all these sins. I don't know if I can remember them all. They said, no, 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 no. Just let the Holy Spirit minister to you about your heart, change your way, repent of your sin, and God will bring you into his family. He'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit of God. You will become a child of God. I said, that's perfect. I love it. So the very first step towards salvation is to acknowledge oneself as a sinner. We can go no further in knowing God until the sin question is dealt with. That's the starting point for the work of the Holy Spirit in the process that we call salvation. Then repentance comes. It's a gift from God. The blood is applied and we are now in a position to hear and respond to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. In an effort not to offend anyone, we're skipping the first step. Did you hear me? We are not telling people that sin is keeping them from a relationship with God. I was just talking about this with Karen a minute ago. You cannot stand. Sin cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. You will be destroyed. God blasts sin away just by his pure holiness. Sin will not stand in the presence of God. Flesh and blood will not stand in the presence of God. You must be born again. And so by removing talking about sin, by removing letting people know that this is your spiritual state, you are a sinner, you are apart from God, we're doing away with the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is the author of salvation. No man comes to the Father except the Spirit draw him. We must go back to letting people know that you are out of fellowship through sin. You are out of your spiritual relationship with God as your father through sin. Jesus told the Pharisees that you're lying. You have your father, the devil. They resented that. We are scared in the church today to give you the whole gospel message. We must go back to telling people the truth. Remember, love, if it doesn't have truth, then it is not love. It is counterfeit. So in an effort to not offend anyone, we skip the first step. We send them home with a little wishy-washy sinner's prayer, and we tell them that they are saved. That's not Christianity. That's a big reason why the church is weak. There aren't many Christians in the church. We're giving them a false sense of security. We're giving them a false sense that, yes, they are saved. Yes, their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They've not been blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life. But we've got to start going back to the truth. Matthew 9:13 Jesus for I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance the gospel is for sinners we're all sinners the gospel is for sinners but if the world doesn't know that they're sinners then we have failed them there's also a common heresy in the church which is there today it's quite popular it goes hand in hand with this sin question and it talks about the fact It's a distortion of the grace message that the saints don't need to repent when they sin. Grace covered that. You repent once when you get born again, when you come into the kingdom of God, and that covers you for every sin you're ever going to commit. I don't know where that came from. It's not Bible, and it's dangerous. What's the danger? Well, number one, it leaves saints living their lives with no fellowship with God because when they sin, 
that fellowship is broken. Sin, after you're born again, after you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you come into the family of God, right? Sin, you are saved. You are saved in your relationship with God. But sin breaks that fellowship, that intimate time of talking and praying and listening to God. Sin distorts that. It breaks it because it can't stand in the presence of God. And when we tell people that they don't need to repent as children of God, then they're out of the fellowship of God. They don't have any fellowship with them. That's so dangerous. Ultimately, it will lead to people dying in their sin. We must read the Bible. We must obey the Bible. I'm going to give you six or eight or ten scriptures right now that prove that point is wrong. First John 1 8. First John. John is writing this to the church. He's writing this to his brothers. He's writing this to little children of God, born again Christians. And he says, if we say that we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. First John 1 9. If we confess our sins, talking to the church, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there is a repentance available to the church when we acknowledge that we have sinned. First John one ten. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. And that's what the world does. They say, well, it's not sin. People in the body of Christ voting to support abortion. I'm sorry, that's sin. If you think it's not sin, then guess what? You make him a liar and his word is not in you. Here it is, First John 2, 1. My little children, these things I'm writing unto you that you don't sin. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And First John 2, 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, not only ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus has solved the sin problem, but the method that he put in there includes the work of the Holy Spirit to let you know that you have a sin problem. There's never been a man born that has not had a sin problem since Adam. And Jesus went to help pay the penalty so that we don't have to live in that sin. Now, he makes propitiation for that sin. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And I want to go quickly to the book of Revelation and just talk to you because Jesus is talking to us. He's talking to the church. This is after the resurrection. This is John. It's about A.D. 94, 95. And John is writing in the book of Revelation. And Jesus has a message for the church, his church. Revelation 1.5 is talking to the church at Ephesus. Remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen and repent. And do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Jesus expects the church to repent. They're guilty of, they lost their first love. He goes, repent to the church. Revelation 2.16, the church at Pergamos. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of thy mouth. Jesus has no problem telling the church, the born-again, blood-washed church, filled with the Holy Ghost, that, hey, you're sinning. But don't worry, repent, allow the Holy Spirit to tell you that this is wrong, to convict you of your sin, and we'll wash you in the blood, and we'll get you back up and running again. Revelation, the church at Thyatira, Revelation 2, 21 and 22. And I gave Jezebel space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. Are you beginning to see a pattern here? You know, I love the fact that in the church at Smyrna, he didn't yell at them for nothing. They were doing really good. But also the people of Smyrna, they were going to be taken captive by the enemy. Many of them were going to lose their lives. And Jesus 
revealed himself to that church is the resurrection. And if you read these seven letters, it's awesome not only to see what's written in it, but to see how Jesus chooses to reveal himself to the church at Smyrna, who was a good church, but they were being persecuted and they were going to lose their lives. He revealed himself as the resurrection. Why? Because that's what they needed. Okay, Revelation 3, 3, Sardis, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. Revelation three nineteen, the church at Laodicea. As many as I love, this is a great scripture, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Be zealous therefore for me and repent. I like that we're leaving on that note because he loves us and he tells us to repent because he loves us. And there's nothing judgmental, there is nothing condemning about you telling someone that's lost that they are a sinner and they need to get those sins under the blood of Jesus Christ. That's true Bible love. That's part of the true gospel. That is the very first step in the process of salvation. Jesus said you must be born again. It was not an option. Jesus went to hell not to save you from hell, but to pay the penalty for your sins so that you too can have eternal life. One of my favorite scriptures, John seventeen three, and this is eternal life that you may know God as the only true God and his son, Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. I'm Ron Geyer. Check out the, my email. Give me an email about Patriots for Christ class. We hope to see you soon. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. 